I will bless the Lord at all times. Then his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The psalmist goes on to say, oh, taste, mm, my favorite part, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm, all I can say today is God has been better than better. Yes, right in the chat, God has been better. Yes, he's been sweeter than my mom's peach cobbler and vanilla ice cream on a warm day. He gives more joy than winning a dream vacation and more bliss than a surprise bonus in your paycheck. Oh, he lulls me to sleep better than any tropical breeze or rhythmic sound of waves on the sand. God grants me more peace. Then a newborn nestled in its mother's arms. Oh, when I think of the goodness of God, somebody, and what he's done for me, my soul cries, hallelujah. And you can say then with boldness and assurity as you are watching the TV, like David, you can say many are the afflictions, somebody. Many are the hardships and troubles in war. Many are the perplexing situations. Mm, but the Lord delivers somebody. The Lord rescues. The Lord freezes out of them all. Oh, God is in the saving business this morning. If you are wondering if he is able and if God can, we all only need to look at our history, which is his story. For only a great God can bring a people out of such appalling oppression and horrific enslavement. Only a great God can orchestrate and cultivate beauty out of the ashes of slavery. Only a great God could weave an intricate design of accomplishments in a tapestry of racism, discrimination, and injustice. Mm, praise God. For his hand of delivering somebody. Praise God for being God all by himself. Mm, praise God. Well, this morning I wanted to start off first by thanking Dr. Liverpool for the invitation to speak on today. The Liverpools, you know, hold a special place in our hearts. They have pulled us in. They've loved on us and are so real and relatable. Uh, we are blessed to be connected to such a power couple, a couple who have given their lives over to the master, and anyone who meets them can testify of this very thing. I pray that God continues to bless to bless them. I pray that God continues to place his mighty hands upon them. May he cover you in his spirit. May he douse you in his grace and drench you in his mercy. And good morning and happy Sabbath to both Ypsilanti and Ecorse. I want you to know that you both are not just a congregation, but you are family, and I'm so glad to be here on today. So is it okay if we go to the Word this morning? I invite you to turn with me to Judges 3, 12 to 15, and 28, and then 30. So Judges 3, 12 to 15, and skipping down to 28 and landing on 30. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. 
getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah, the Benjamites. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Verse 28, follow me, Ehud ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the forge to the Jordan that led to Moab, and they allowed no one to cross over. Verse 30. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. The land had peace. Mm, Don't you want some peace? Some peace for 80 years. I'm going to speak briefly with you under the sermonic topic, lessons from a lefty pursuers of freedom. Lessons from a lefty pursuers of freedom. Pray with me, dear kind, gracious, heavenly Father. We come into your throne room this morning with arms and our hearts are stretched to you asking for your power and your continued presence in this place. I pray, oh God, uh, that strongholds will be broken and, and souls will be liberated. Touch hearts, oh God. Open ears and free our spirits, Lord. Hide this speaker so that you may be seen. Mm. Let my words evaporate so that the word of God can be made plain and may my presence mean absolutely nothing so that the presence of God can mean everything. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, yes, say amen. Put it in the chat. Amen, amen, someone. Purple splashes of color cover the Palestinian morning sky. With my sanctifying imagination, I can see birds uh, dot the horizon and then descend onto lush green palm trees nearby. As, as we get closer to the city, lines of people pepper the dusty road. They're, they're hauling carts of every kind of harvest, carrying baskets, uh, bags of fine linen and freshly woven fabric. Some bring large portions of their salary, while others bring the best of their livestock, all of them giving their last for a tribute to the cruel and brutal Moabite King Eglon, who for for 18 years was crushing them under the weight of his tyranny. Oh, can you see that Israel is bearing more than just mere bags? They're carrying unseen yokes of bondage, um, invisible chains of oppression, hidden bags of hopelessness, helplessness, and despair. Can you see them? There are no smiles on faces. Uh, uh, no light-hearted uh, banter, uh, no carefree stories are being shared because the very land they walked on was the very land where their ancestors' feet had crossed the dry riverbed of the Jordan. Yeah, yeah, the very land where the stones had been pulled from the Jordan River and were stacked at Gilgal as an altar, the land where the historical battle was fought with just a shout as they marched around Jericho, this same land of victory. Hmm. Uh, The land of freedom was now a land of oppression, a land of abuse, suffering, and injustice. Hmm. Help us, God. Does this not sound familiar? 
Yes, in the same land of freedom, uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yes, these United States of America, this land of freedom became and still is a land of oppression. Yes, the same land where colonists uh, the people from the New England colonies that had come to pursue religious and political freedom, mercy, the same land where colonists came to make a better life, where people could make a living, pursue independence, pursue liberty. Yes, this same land of freedom for some is the same land of almost 250 years of slavery and 150 years of modern day Slavery with modern day lynchings and, and modern day beatings by some who vowed to protect and to serve. Mm. 400 years of systematic racism and microaggressions with more than 17 million people forcibly taken from their homes in the greatest human trafficking event in the history of this land drenched in the blood of 4 million unknown, some unnamed, some unremembered slaves and black faces who died during the middle passage, the journey from the coast to the auction block. And now on the streets of Minneapolis with white knees in their necks in Louisville where while sleeping in their beds like Breonna Taylor and in Brunswick, Georgia while taking a job. And so we, uh, so, so we see Ehad and he's standing on what was the land of victory. However, it is now a land of oppression, mm, dark days and horrible atrocities. Uh, it is beyond despair, beyond despondency, beyond misery. And yet, Verse 15 starts out with but. Yes, put but in the chat. Yeah, yeah, but, but somebody. But watch out for this three letter word that has the power to change anything that came before it. But, but Israel in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their subjugation, in the middle of their slavery, cry out cries drenched in fear of those prayers soaked in desperation float up to the throne of grace so church have has your pain been so deep your sorrow been so heavy your grief so intense that your sobs have been translated into a heavenly 911 call uh, translated into an sos phrase for the father Verse 15 says, Israel cried out to the Lord. Oh, God's hands is not shortened that he cannot save, and neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Isaiah goes on to say that before we call God, he will answer, and while we are yet speaking, he will hear. God answers their cries by sending a person. Mm, does that sound familiar? Mm, yeah. God raises up someone to rescue them. God sends Ehud, the son of Jerah, a Benjamite, a left-handed brother. Hmm. Right off the bat, we get this unusual fact about Ehud. You know, when we get these uh, uh, details while we're reading the word of God, it's important for us to sit up and take notice. He is left-handed and comes from the tribe of Benjamin, which might not mean much with um, just a glance, but when we dig deeper, we find that in the Hebrew, the word Benjamin means son of the right hand. Mm. So we have a left-handed brother from the son of the right hand. Can you see God just creating this setup? 
Mm, so he uh, lived with, he belonged to a people who, uh, whose very existence, their very culture was built around, revolved around, and was immersed in the belief that the right hand signified strength. It was a symbol, it was symbolic of having authority and, and power. Um, sitting on the right hand was a seat of honor. Sitting on the right hand of God was a position of power. The words right hand occurs 166 times in the Bible. And here we have a man who was from the son of the right hand and was left-handed. Now, did you know back then being left-handed was seen as a curse? Yeah, it was seen as a physical defect, a flaw. Being left-handed was a sign of a weakness. It was a disgrace and brought dishonor to the family. Lesson one from a lefty. God can use your perceived weakness to liberate, save, and to teach others. Mm, so Jarnard Truth was born into slavery in 1797, and when she was nine years old, she was ripped away from her parents and sold with a flock of sheep for $100 to another slave owner. They saw her as just as property to be sold like livestock and believed she was less than human. Oh, but God was raising up an evangelist, an abolitionist, women's rights activist, and author. She escaped in 1826 with her daughter and became a Christian. And God would then use her to help others. Um, and then uh, he would then go on to help her win a court case where she won her son back out of a slavery. She became the first black woman to win such a case against a white man. She uh, helped slaves um, on the stop through the Underground Railroad in Massachusetts. She preached about ending slavery and equal rights for all, which was highlighted in her stirring speech, Ain't I a Woman? at Ohio's Women's Convention in 1851. Oh, when God chooses to use who he wants, watch out for something incredible. Watch out for something incredible. So it's not about what you believe that they can do. It's, it is about what God can do through them. God will use what others overlook, what others dismiss, what others write off, and use it to liberate, save, and to teach, testifying of his goodness. And so with this presumed disability, this flaw is Ehud in verse 16. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So Ehud shows up with the double-edged sword, which he made that was about uh, one and a half feet long and strapped to his right thigh. Now why is the word telling us that it's strapped to his right side. Do you see Ehud being left-handed would have needed to access his sword quickly. To do that, he would have placed it on his right thigh. But because most people were right-handed, their swords were on their left thigh. And so the Moabite soldiers then pat Ehud down and find nothing on his left thigh, assuming that he is right-handed. And so the crafted sword goes unnoticed, so this supposed left-handed weakness and defect is a setup for a takedown for Moab. So lesson one, God can use your perceived weaknesses to liberate, to save, and to teach. And so Ehad shows up to drop off the tribute to the Moabite king. 
Ehud is escorting, escorting all the goods from Israel, all the goods from his people to give it to the slave holder, to the oppressive king. He then sends the people who carried all the goods to go ahead of him back home. The word of God says in verse 17, after delivering the money to King Eglon, Ehud started home again, but outside the city, at the quarries of Gilgal, he sent his companions on and returned alone to the king. So Ehud starts back home, gets to Gilgal, and then turns around. Well, what is in Gilgal? I'm glad that you asked what is in Gilgal. If you look with me at Joshua 4, 1 to 3, 8 and 9, Joshua 4, 1 to 3, 8 and, and, um, and 19, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Does this story sound familiar? So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Verse 19, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Mercy. So Ehud arrives at Gilgal and he sees these stones mm, from the dry riverbed. Somebody, can you can you see that the the dry riverbed of the Jordan? These stones carried by his ancestors, drawn from the river, right where the priest's feet stood. The stones representing God's favor, representing his freedom, representing victory. Bible scholars believe that these stones that were supposed to be set up as an altar there in Gilgal were now being used by Moab to make graven images. Oh, can you imagine Ehud's disgust, his shock, uh, uh, which turns into outrage, which turns to anger and frustration against the king of Moab, against the king who dared to defy the living God and to keep uh, the people of God enslaved. And so the word of God says, Ehud turns around and has back for the king, mm, second lesson from a lefty, pursuers of freedom are not bystanders. Not only do they have to say something, they are drawn to do something. They are not okay with things the way that they are, and they just don't shake their heads and say, well, that's messed up. They act. On February 1st, 1960, Four young black men, students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical College, sat down at the lunch counter of Woolworth in downtown Greensboro, North Carolina. Ezo Blair Jr., David Richmond, Franklin McLean, and Joseph McNeil could no longer remain silent. They were already spurred on by the brutal murder of Emmett Till in 1955, and so they staged the sit-in, refusing to give up their seats to any of the white patrons and not leaving the lunch counter even though the employees refused to serve them because they were not white. Police arrived on the scene and weren't able to take, they weren't able to take any action because uh, they, there was no aggravation, nothing major going on. But by that time, the local media had arrived and was alerted and they covered the entire event on television. The Greensboro Four is what they're called now, stayed put until the store closed. Then returned the next day 
with more students from a local colleges. By February 5th, more than 300 students had joined the protest at Woolworths, paralyzing the lunch counter and other local businesses. Their actions made an immediate and lasting impact, forcing Woolworths and other establishments to change their policies on segregation. At the end of July 1960, the Greensboro Woolsworth quietly integrated its lunch counter to be served. Lesson number two from a lefty, pursuers of freedom are not bystanders. Lesson one, God can use your perceived weaknesses to liberate, to save, and to teach. So Ehud takes action. With righteous indignation, he shows back up to the palace. He returns to the king and says, hey, I have some major secrets that I need to share with you. And so the king, Eglon, decides to meet Ehud in the inter room, which scholars believe was equivalent to a restroom. So Ehud is off to the side in this side room, this restroom, and Ehud comes close because he wants to hear all the goodies. He wants to hear the secret that he has. And then Ehud stabs King Eglon with his sword, which is on his right thigh. Mm, the king sits down and dies there. And outside, the servants are awkwardly waiting outside for the king to finish in the bathroom. And after a time, the servants realizes the king has spent too long. He's been in the restroom too long. What's going on? So they unlock the door to find the king of Moab dead. Meanwhile, someone write in the chat, meanwhile. Meanwhile, yes, the word of God says, meanwhile, Ehud had escaped past the quarries of Sirah when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim. He blew a trumpet as a call to arms and mustered up an army under his own command. Follow me, he told them, for the Lord has put your enemies, the Moabites, at your mercy. Lesson three from a lefty, pursuers of freedom know it can't all be done by themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they know that it will take a village that it will take a march on Washington, it will take one million men, it will take an entire community. You know, as much cunning and courage Ehud had, he could not have done all this work by himself. It was essential for brave and faithful people to rally together and win together. And this is what Naysay Ofa Latosha Brown and Stacey Abrams knew. They knew it would take more than just their three votes to change things, mercy God. And so they spent years knocking on doors, hosting events, uh, sending out mass text messages, getting people to register to vote and challenge the state election system, calling out voter suppression. They started projects and launched websites to rally people of color, women of color, to exercise their rights, the freedom to vote, for their voices to be heard and counted. And the force of all of those people turned the state of Georgia blue, won the White House, and won the city. Mercy God, pursuers of freedom. Lesson number three from a lefty. Pursuers of freedom know it can't be done by themselves. Lesson two from a lefty. Pursuers of freedom are not bystanders. Lesson number one, God can use perceived weaknesses of people to liberate, save, and to teach others. Hmm. About 23 years ago, during our devotions with my kiddos, 
We were reading the fabulous story of Esther. How many of you love the story of Esther? We, I love the story of Esther. We were going point by point and event by um, event. And so at the end, uh, our seven-year-old at the time, Kayla, was so impressed with the story. She sat there for a moment and she quietly thought about, about what was going on. And she announced at the end of our worship, boldly proclaiming, I am going to fast and pray like Esther so we can go to Disney World. Oh, our three-year-old Raquel smiled and nodded in agreement, and I looked wide-eyed at them. Both, mercy, they were just kids, right? Would God answer a prayer for Disney? But God can use one's perceived weakness as a, ve- a way to liberate free and teach those around you. Mercy, God. So I said to myself, self, who am I to tell God's children that he is not going to answer their prayers? And not only just prayers, prayers steeps in fasting. And so the little ones on their own figured out that they were going to fast from their favorite Barbies. Now that might not seem, you know, major to you, but my girls loved everything Barbie. They had Barbie cars, they had Barbie clothes, they had Barbie houses, they had Barbie blankets, they had Barbies that they played with and Barbies that were in collector boxes. And so they took their favorite Barbie somebody, and and the very special ones, and they put them on the top shelf of the linen closet. Yes, 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 church. So I began to pray. I'm sure it was a faithless prayer on my part, concerned that would God answer this prayer? I mean, it's Disney. I mean, there's seven and there's three. So I got on the phone and I called my mom, and she began to pray with them. Church, uh, they were serious about the matter. They persisted in prayer and fasting, and at morning devotions they prayed, at breakfast they prayed, at lunch they prayed. They prayed while they were playing with their other toys. They prayed at dinner and they prayed at bedtime. And I thought surely by the time we got to the second week uh, that they would forget. Definitely uh, by the third week. Don't you know by the fourth week they were going strong, still fasting and praying. Now I had no clue how we were going to get there from Michigan to Florida, where we was going to stay, and definitely how we were going to get into Disney. But God was going to use their faith, yeah, yeah, to teach others around them about his faithfulness. God was going to use their faith in action as a way to testify of him. God was going to use their understanding that these little ones knew that they could not get to Disney on their own. Well, first we found out that our family reunion was going to be at Orlando, Florida that year. Oh, and then my father gave me his keys to his car. Do you understand? His keys to his car. Now, everyone knows that you cannot take his keys or his car around the block, but he was going to allow us to drive from Michigan to Florida. And if that wasn't enough, then my dad's insurance company and the insurance guy added Pastor Carmona and I on the insurance free of charge. You would think that these things would have signaled to me that God was up to something, but every step of my heart would would get heavy, it would skip a beat, and then when something would happen, it would explode in praises, and, and, and as I saw doors opening, well, the girls were persistent. They kept pressing the throne of grace, they kept asking, they kept seeking, uh, uh, and so one day we started to get ready and pack our bags, and as we were packing our bags, we got a call 
that my uncle was paying for our entire hotel stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not just any old room. It was a fabulous suite. Won't God upgrade you? Won't he just upgrade you? I sat in disbelief at what God was doing for this seven and this three-year-old. But I was still scratching my head of how we were going to afford to get into Disney. Now, anyone knows... Have you been on the Disney site to see how much the tickets are just to get in? <laughs> well, at the time, it was about $60 per person for one area of the park. So that was about $300 with parking. Disney does not only have just the Magic Kingdom, they have three or four water parks and other amusement areas, and I'm sure they have added, it, added all some other things <laughs> over the last 20 years. But every other park, every park, then had their own fee too. So it was another 45 or $60 each park for each person. And so if we wanted to go to two other parks, we were adding on another $600-something. That doesn't count food or little cute little, you know, stuffed animals or anything like that. So now, you know, we told our kids that we were going to the family reunion, but I didn't have the heart to tell my kids that I wasn't sure about Disney. Mm, but my daughters had no doubts. Yeah, 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 these little ones were, uh, uh, who weren't even in second grade yet. These little ones with no driver's license, no jobs, no ID. These little ones begin to teach on faith and God without doubting for one moment. They started talking about what they would do at Disney. Uh, uh, uh. They began to speak of things as if they were, they, uh, what clothes they would be wearing in the park, uh, uh, who they were gonna see at Disney. They talked about how they were going to get the Mickey Mouse ears, the hats and all. They giggled at what it was going to be like to walk into the big castle. They continued to petition the throne of grace, never giving up, never forgetting what they were asking for. And don't you know that I found out two days before we left that I had a great aunt who worked for Disney. <laughs> you can't make this up yourself. A great aunt who worked for Disney, mercy God. And so she worked there and one of the perks was any family member could get in for free for free. Not only did we get in for free, but family members also could get a free hopper pass, which means we could go to any area of Disney for free. Uh, do you hear me? Free access to all of the parks at Disney for free. On top of all of that, if that wasn't enough, we were given the same benefits mm, uh, uh, and employee discount as my aunt for any item at any of the stores in the park, 75% off all items purchased. Mercy God, mm, because we are children of God, because we are family members of the Most High God, because we have been adopted and grafted, because we have a high priest, come on somebody, we have free access up to his throne, free access to his power, free access to his benefits. Oh, God can use who he wants to, to liberate, save, and to teach others. Don't you know by the end of the family reunion, family members heard of the testimony of these two little girls. Mercy, somebody was saying if they could do it, if he could do it for them, 
He can do it for me. Yes, God used these little ones to liberate minds from wrong thinking that God can. Freeing minds from the lies that the enemy told them about God's faithfulness. These girls did not leave going to Disney up the chance. They weren't passive or a passive bystander. They did something about it. They understood that if God could do it for Esther, God could do it for them. And then God used these two girls to show that with God, nothing is impossible. The girls knew that they could not get to Disney alone. They, uh, uh, that they would, they knew that they would need a heavy hitter. They, they knew that they would need someone with unlimited power, unlimited resources, and who loved them. Mmm, who loved them. We have someone that loved us. And because of that, when the earth was at its worst, Mm, God, when when it was at the heights of sin and, and, and wickedness, crumbling under the weight of oppression from the enemy of our souls, when the fullness of time was come, God sent a rescuer, mm, a deliverer. God sent a baby, fully human, fully God. He sent his son, Jesus. Mm. And they thought when they saw him, they thought, thought that he was weak, just a man, come from Nazareth. He was always talking about the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is. And then Jesus didn't just stand there. He began to heal the brokenhearted. He freed folks from the grip of death and raised them from the dead. He forgave sins and cast out demons. And and he did not sit and go quietly into, into the night. And then Jesus, with all of heaven, with his father guiding him, every step of the way. Jesus does not just heal, but he pays the ultimate price for you and for me. He lays down his life to the very ones he came to free. Help me, God. Isaiah declares, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And with that healing comes this same baton being passed on to us. Yes, that even though people might and perceive us as being weak, maybe uh, because we might have a sin issue that God can't use us to liberate, save, and to teach. Mm, That baton is handed on to us for us not to just be innocent or quiet bystanders to get up and do something, uh, to share the goodness of God with somebody. And finally, mm, knowing that we can't do this on our own, that we have all of heaven backing us. So this, now just changed, to this afternoon, this afternoon we have an opportunity to come to the throne of grace and to pour our our hearts about what's going on with us, what's going on in the world. And this same Savior, this same God who can liberate and save is the same God who can show up. And I know that we're online. Isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit can be uh, anywhere at any time, at the same time? And so I know, and I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would just move as this word was being presented. I know that he is there where you are. And so I'm gonna ask as you ponder on this word that you would present to uh, the Holy Spirit, present to God the things and the issues and the problems that you have. Mm. And what comes to mind for me this morning as if 
that if my seven and three-year-old can have faith to lean on him, mm, if I could have just a little bit of their faith, I would know and you can know that he is already working on our behalf. Let us pray. Dear kind, gracious, heavenly Father, we come into your very throne room and we thank you, O God, that you didn't give up on us, that you sent the Savior to us. And, and Jesus, you gave up all of heaven to come and liberate and save us. And I'm so glad, God, that the blood that happened back then still has power. All of these years have gone by, but your blood still has power and it still works. And so we're asking for one drop of blood, God, one drop of blood to cover us, uh, to free us, to liberate our minds from the enemy. Oh, God, give us your righteousness. Allow us to stand up from hearing this word and not only um, just hear it, but to apply it in our lives, to get up and tell a neighbor, to go to our jobs um, and tell someone, to give someone a smile, to encourage someone along the way. If something isn't right, to speak up and tell someone about it. And then know that it takes all of us together, our faith connected to each other's faith to move forward. We thank you, oh God, for your word and what you're doing for us. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen.